Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. Today we're going to be talking about news you may have heard about supposedly the first synthetic human embryo created. What does that mean? I'll talk about that and from a Catholic perspective here on Trending in just a little bit. Joining me today is a professional matchmaker, Christina Pineda, matchmakers in the city and we're going to talk about whether or not you need to be best friends for a relationship to work and we'll also discuss <laughs> this is a topic uh, did you hear the news like uh, alec baldwin's wife hilaria baldwin admits she's uh, sometimes mommy to alec baldwin that's embarrassing we'll talk about mommy and your husband why you shouldn't what men want we'll be diving into all of that with celebrity world matchmaker christina pineda christina welcome back to trending so good to be here with you, Timory. You and I were talking about the news of Victoria's Secret model Taylor of Taylor Hill getting married recently, and it sparked conversation about the whole idea of being best friends before you get married. What are your thoughts on this claim that I imagine is probably more recent, at least from what I've seen, where people are talking more and more, well, I married my best friend. It's a statement people often make, and especially publicly. It's true. Yes. And in her Instagram post after their engagement in June, 2021, Taylor called Daniel, my best friend, my soulmate, I'll love you always. So those are her exact words. And it's funny because he's her best friend and he also happens to be a private equity advisor. So (laughs) nice and convenient. (laughs) Okay. This whole mentality of having someone marrying your best friend and needing to be best friends before you get married, I think is can be very problematic. And in certain ways, it's natural that you want to be so want to marry someone who you're friends with. But this pressure that the person has to be that closest friend to you is too much to put on a relationship and too much to put on another person as well. Especially in the dating phase, when you're trying to figure out if this person is a good potential husband or wife, a husband or wife doesn't have to be your best friend. That's not the role of a husband or wife. Yes, as you grow together and your love grows deeper, you probably will become best friends, but the whole notion that this is required is is just too much. I agree. I think that's a lot of pressure to put on a relationship or a single person. And I see it happening in many ways, this idea that you're my end-all be-all. Fewer people today have familial as well as friendship connections as they continue to mature through their marriage and relationships. And it's putting a lot of pressure on dating relationships, but also on marital relationships in all seasons of life. You know, women need good, solid female relationships to engage with, whether that's relationships with 
a mom, with a sister, but also with friends as well. Uh, there are conversations you know, that you have with your friends. There are conversations you have with your mom. There are conversations that you have with your sisters. And all of these have different dynamics. And some of them are not conversations that necessarily overlap in usually the same type of way with your spouse. Exactly. We see this firsthand at Matchmakers in the City. The other matchmakers and I have noticed how much pressure, especially women when they're coming in, will put on the man who they, this imaginary man who they want to marry. And they, when they are describing what they're looking for in their interviews, they're often saying they're just looking for too much in a man. And they want someone who's emotionally intelligent is a word that we constantly hear in interviews. And they don't say this usually, but someone who's verbose, who, who is just so um, aligned with their hobbies and basically a carbon copy of themselves. That is what we hear a lot. But this is very unrealistic because most men, 80% of men, are less talkative than women. And 20% of men are, are, have those verbose qualities, but then you go into other things that we can talk <laughs> about later. But I just want you to know on our end as matchmakers, we are seeing women come in with basically wanting another version of themselves in a man. Ooh, so are you saying that's part of the whole desire for a best friend mindset? Yes. Mm, so do. it's more so, it's not really this desire for even a best friend, for it, but it's a desire for someone who's going to conform, it sounds like, to exactly what you desire to be your hopes and dreams incarnate. And that's dangerous. In a certain respect, that's God making or trying to make a person into what you want. Mm, yes. And I think that also might be the problem with why there are less friendships and familial relationships now is if you don't agree with everything I say, then I'm canceling you. That mentality is pretty common in culture today. And yes, of course, there are some troubling relation, familial relationships and awful things going on in certain families. But I think that when we, even with friends, when we put too much pressure on them conforming to who we exactly think we need to be friends with or our exact mentalities and, and our value, everything has to be perfect, then you'll have less friends. And when you put that pressure on needing the man to be the best friend with all of these qualities combined, it's a recipe for singlehood for your whole life. It's making me think of a book on happiness that Father Robert Spitzer wrote. And in that book, he talks about how children are, in a certain respect, natural born narcissists. You know, a little girl may very well believe that the sun is following her because every time she goes outside, it's still there. And that's that mindset that we tend to have as human beings. And with maturity, with formation and education uh, and good upbringing, we should have this maturity that the world actually doesn't revolve around me and that kind of needs to be you know developed and grown and nourished out of us otherwise we will have that type of mindset and how we function and interact 
with other people. But I think that in a lot of relationships today, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Christina, because it's not just dating relationships, but like you said, it's friendship and familial relationships where we're cutting people out of our lives if you do not conform to what we want. And sometimes one of the greatest challenges, but also greatest joys is learning to appreciate, know, and love someone for who they are, even in the midst of their faults, sometimes even in the midst of the way that they can hurt us if we allow them to. It's true. And then in dating specifically, if someone has that mindset of this person has to be my best friend, then people end up oversharing. They end up moving too quickly in the relationship. They end up ending a relationship if that, if the other person isn't able to handle all of the emotional baggage that you have just flung on this person. They end up moving in together sooner. All of these things, just ha- being emotionally dependent on the other, codependent, codependency is more common when you have that notion. All of these things can be very, dis- can destroy a relation, a budding relationship that could have been a really good relationship if the proper boundaries were in place. So mm-hmm. I would advise to, singles to when they're looking for in their dating to have an approach where they keep certain things, hold certain, certain things to themselves until a relationship starts to grow. And I actually give people who I'm date coaching an exercise where you have three different columns. One is a column for things that you're would like to share on a first date. The middle column is something that you'd share only if someone becomes your boyfriend or girlfriend or you're really close to that point. And then the third column is things that you share for people who are really close to being your future husband or or future wife or already there. So these are ways to help, I guess, pace the relationship and Mm -hmm. also keep the boundary that you are not best friends right now. You're getting to know each other. You're dating and maybe eventually that friendship will grow into best friends, but that will take, that will definitely take some time. And if it doesn't, if you still, you still should have other friendships. You should still be cultivating your female friendships or your male friendships if you're a man. And you should still be working towards that more complete life. And something that you mentioned, Timri, to me, it was that only God can complete you. So knowing that the person who you're in a relationship with will not be your be-all, end-all. God will be, is your be-all, end-all. So if that person doesn't have everything, that doesn't mean that they're not the, your future husband or future wife. We can find other, we can have other friends who may satisfy different needs of our different, maybe you you love horseback riding or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the man who you're dating would never go on a horse. He's scared of horses. That doesn't mean that you're not right for each other. Even if horseback riding is your passion, you that's something that you can do with other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting as you were talking about this exercise you do 
with your bachelors and bachelorettes who are you are matchmaking. By the way, if you're just joining us, that's Christina Pineda. She's a professional matchmaker. Christina, I think there's much to be said of what you just said about the columns and how you have the column of information that you'd only share with someone you're just meeting, information you share with someone who you're in a longer-term relationship with versus someone you're almost marrying. It I think there is such a thing as oversharing, and I think that cultivates things such as mystery, privacy, moderation, and temperance, those last two being virtues uh, that are so fundamental that we're practicing. But I think, Christine, it also helps us to avoid things such as missionary dating, trying to fix someone because we've learned so many pieces of information about someone so soon and such a rapid amount of time. It can almost make us fall in love with trying to fix or love, or even we're going to talk about this later, but like mommy the situation and make someone's life better. That's missionary dating and that's a savior complex. But also when we hold things back, not hiding truth, but being slow to share about ourselves and share too much, it also feeds and cultivates the chase of the relationship and getting to know each other as well. Yes, that's so true. And what I I mentioned this before about how 80% of men are more the less talkative type. There are the 20%, but they're the very outgoing ones, very talkative, life of the party men. And if a woman ends up in a relationship with one of these 20%, they're usually the very charismatic ones. And if you end up in a relationship with and wanting that relationship, there will be other issues in that relationship. For instance, more ups and downs, usually more drama. The man usually wants to be the center of attention. Mm. So if women are saying, no, I listened to everything you and Timory said, but I still want that really outgoing man who is going to be that carbon copy of me, best friend, we do everything together, that you will have other issues with that because usually men are the 80% ones are just a little more of a laid back kind. So you will have less issues in that, in that direction. If you're dating someone like that, I just wanted to bring that up. These categories, I'm getting this from the exceptional 7% by Dr. Popchik. And I think it's so spot on. I, I see this with our men and the, the men who we work with and the women who we work with. I think it's just such a good way to categorize men. Of course, no one fits in a box perfectly, but I really love this concept and I think it holds very true. So women just have to be aware that that is that men are not going to be just like us mm-hmm. and men have to be aware that women are not going to be just like them. There will be things that your, your girlfriend or wife won't want to do with you and that's okay. And just embrace the differences. And I think another reason for so many divorces is also this attitude that the person has to be my best friend. And if we're not best friends, then something's wrong with the relationship and it needs to end. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic because whether you're in a dating relationship or married, and I see this at many stages of marriage, uh, that's problematic if that person, if your spouse is responsible for making you happy. God alone can make you happy. Your spouse isn't there to make you happy at the end of the day. And this is why we need to cultivate a relationship with God to even have conversations or maybe our complaints and our venting needs to take place within that relationship of prayer and healing and praise and adoration for God because it's going to help us better honor, love, and 
respect the people in our lives and not use them to achieve our happiness, but love them to achieve mutual happiness and to help achieve their well-being and ultimately our responsibility as people of faith within the context of marriage is to help get our spouses to heaven that salvation is what life is about life with god ultimately and that's what we should be praying for and keeping as our central focus in all of our relationships yes yes that's so true timory and just a reminder that when when someone does get married, that there are some things that you should only speak to your closest friends of the or closest friend of the same sex about that you shouldn't share with your spouse. And I remember you even had an episode, Timory, about why you should not share your attraction to someone else with your husband or wife. And I think that if someone is in this mindset of, oh, this person's my best friend, I can share anything to him or her. They might overshare things that could really hurt the person. We'll have to post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes to that conversation where we talked about whether or not you should tell your spouse if you're attracted to someone else. It's a really interesting conversation. We'll post a link to it. I'm glad you mentioned it, Christina. I think this, I think bottom line summary is, do you need to be best friends for a relationship to work? No, it's important that we have other friendships, other familial relationships that we're cultivating them, that we're not expecting those friendships, whether it's spouse or others, to be a reflection of ourselves, that we're loving and embracing people where they're at. And your friends at the end of the day, we have to remember this, should build you to be a better person, a better if you're a woman, a wife, a mother, uh, and the opposite if you're a man. It, it takes the pressure off of your relationships. And it's important because when we invest in these relationships, when we invest in faithful relationships, it actually makes for happier marital relationships at the end of the day. And that's what we're talking about here during our weekly marriage hour with professional matchmaker Christina Pineda. You can find her at matchmakerchristinaconti.com. That's matchmakerchristina, Christina with a C, Conti, C-O-N-T-I.com. If you didn't catch that, we'll post on social media as well as in the episode notes for today's show. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I'll be right back with professional matchmaker Christina Pineda. And we're going to talk about mommying your husband. Ilaria Baldwin admits she sometimes babies, or sorry, should I say mommies, her husband, Alec Baldwin. We'll talk about that in just a moment here on the show. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Did you hear about the first synthetic human embryo reportedly created? I'll talk about that a little bit later on. What does that even mean? Don't worry, we'll cover it here with Catholic Perspective. Joining me now is professional matchmaker Christina Pineda. Christina, it was actually... I think embarrassing to even read this headline of this article. Ilaria Baldwin admits she sometimes mommies Alec Baldwin. I can't believe this was even posted online. She said, am I his mommy? Sometimes I'm his mommy. Sometimes. No man wants to hear this. Uh, It's humiliating. And for those men who do want a mommy and wife, there's something wrong with that. Can you talk to me about this before I just, we're going to talk about not mommying your spouse in a moment here, but share your initial thoughts. 
Yes, yes. And you know what, Tamara, didn't nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> this didn't <laughs> surprise me because I think it happens so much more commonly than we than we expect it to because it's so women have this nurturing gene inside of us where we're meant to be mothers and even in dating when I'm coaching women that's something that I have to have them I guess rechannel not fight against but rechannel actually in dating it's often a problem that I see where a woman isn't progressing to the next level of a relationship because she is mobbing the man. Maybe she's cooking for him. She's too much, obviously. Here and there is you're and you're sharing your cooking together. That's one thing. But if you're cooking too much or cleaning for him, you're not married, you're dating. These are all things that are really problematic to get to the next phase of a relationship. So I have to tell women that, okay, let's, instead of doing these things for him, why don't you, or reaching out to him is another thing that women will do too much reaching out to the men. It's the man's job to pursue. So I say, okay, when you have that urge to reach out to him, I want you to text a friend and check in and see how that friend is doing. Or if you have the urge to clean his house for him, why don't you do a Habitat for Humanity project over the weekend? Rechannel your nurturing energy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good perspective to have because it's so interesting to see how quickly women swoop in because they do want to nurture. They want to care. They want to love. They want to serve. They want to be that helpmate. I know that's language that people don't like to hear, but that's what from the dawn of the creation of Adam and Eve, this is what men and women were meant to be toward one another, especially the woman, the wife toward the husband. But the language never included to mother him. And it's interesting because I did an episode a couple weeks ago with Devin Shat, and we talked about seven things men want from their Catholic wives. And one of the things he listed in that episode is that that a man wants his wife to be the mother of his children, not to be his mother. Mm. And we talked a little bit about that in that episode. We'll post the link to it because I think it was an incredible conversation. I learned so much as a woman. I think all of us in our relationships can learn uh, from that series that we did. But one thing that did stand out to me about their relationship, Christina, was Alaria Baldwin and Alec Baldwin have a massive age gap. So 39 years old and 65. I don't think that's necessarily a scenario where you necessarily think that she was coming into mommy the situation. But here's what is interesting. They had seven babies in 11 years. They've got a lot of kids. And I only have two, but I do get when you're in the midst of your day and you're playing mom to these kids all day and suddenly you're spending time with your spouse. It's sometimes confusing to change your mode of operation and your role in terms of your interactions with someone else, especially when your husband's so familiar to you that you kind of sometimes or I sometimes fail in transitioning. Oh, wait, I'm talking to my husband not a two-year-old, not that my husband's acting in any way, in such a way, but it's that my mindset has literally been in two-year-old and six-month-old land all day, that shifting can sometimes be a challenge in those moment-to-moment experiences, but we're called to have that proper mode of operation with our spouse of respect, honor, love, and companionship, not mommying. Oh, yes. That is difficult. It's Similar to if you're working from home and your spouse is there, just it's so difficult to shift from work mode to, oh, I'm actually your wife and I'm not ordering you around to do things. 
So it's, these are modes that do take time to get out of. And I guess with, with, when you are taking care of your kids and your husband's there, it, it is having that, that in your mind constantly that this is my husband. And if you do say something that was more, should be more to, to a two-year-old to recognize it and to apologize for it and especially apologize for it in front of your children so that they know that you're not, that they can see the, the relationship interacted um, appropriately because that, yeah, that could be, we want to show our kids a good example. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned, act. yeah, I'm glad you mentioned working from home too, because like, oh, hey, you're here. There's so many things that we can achieve throughout the day. And it can be that honeydew list. And maybe that's a form of mommy. Maybe it's a form of just taking control. But we know this is a part of our human nature, especially as women. We read in Genesis chapter three, that we as women, as a result of the fall, will des- have a desire for our husbands. And part of that desire is a desire to control our husbands and at times even manipulate. And this is why I truly believe as Catholics, we need confession to confess our sins of the many wrongs we tend to do in our marriage and outright sins that are probably some of the most common sins we engage in if you're married have to do with how you interact with your spouse. And it needs to be healed so that we have that authentic vision of how God created us male and female to interact with one another. Yes. Another thing that I was thinking about is when you, so usually women are around the children more than men are when in a family situation. And it can be hard as the mom to allow the husband to a little more freedom because the mom usually knows, okay, this has to happen at this time. He likes it this way. She likes it that way. You, you're doing it wrong and it's can be, you are in control as a mom. You are in control of so much throughout the day. And then when you have more time with your husband on the weekends, it can be difficult. Or when you are on vacation, for instance, it can be difficult to let go a little bit of that. And not everything needs to be exactly perfect as how it is on your normal day to day schedule. But that is something that I think women can learn from and they can it can help them get out of the the annoying mommy mode that a man does not want control with. And just thinking of a personal example, actually, we went on vacation to um, in Tennessee a few weeks, actually a month ago. And when we got to the hotel, just things were so different than my home. And I realized, and I was just, I got overwhelmed. I normally things are in a specific, specific place and I, Everyone is in bed at a certain time and all of this. But my husband ended up just saying, Christina, just let me take care of it. And I, it was so hard for me to let him take control. But I finally did. I went and I took a shower. And by the time I was out of the shower, everyone was sleeping. And from that point on in the vacation, I was so much more relaxed, so much more calm when I didn't feel like I needed to control mm-hmm. everything, including my husband. 
Mm-hmm. It's a good lesson and a good reminder. That's professional matchmaker Christina Pineda joining us here on Trending. And it reminds me of the blueprint that God has for marriage. When we're talking about the story of Alaria Baldwin admitting she sometimes uh, mommies her husband, Alec Baldwin. That is so embarrassing. That poor guy. It's one of those moments where you hope that they're not paying attention to headlines. And I can't imagine the conversation if he does see that she said this. It's a big foot in your mouth type of moment. But here's the deal. God has a blueprint for how we're meant to interact in a marriage. And this whole mommying conversation, I get it. I know a lot of women are going to say, well, my husband acts like he wants a mommy. Okay, there's more going on there to be worked on. That's another topic for another day. We're talking about whether or not we are falling prey to doing that. Uh, But here's... I think what's significant is when we read some of the mission of husbands and wives in sacred scripture. We know that God created male and female as equal, uh, but he also gave us the mission to be fruitful and multiply together, not to uh, have this dominance over one over the other, but to be fruitful and multiply, to have children. And the primary end of marriage as Catholics is to have children and educate them. And education is done, you mentioned this earlier, Christina, by how we set that example. The things we even apologize for having done in front of our children Uh, when we apologize to our spouse in front of them so they can see certain behaviors aren't okay. But when I think about Ephesians chapter 5, which is where St. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is talking about marriage, he has this line where he says to spouses, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is that mutual submission, this idea of being on the same mission with one another. Uh, that, That is the beginning of St. Paul commenting on marriage. But then he talks about the primacy of the leadership of the husband. He says, wives, be submissive to your husband as to the Lord. And so we're giving, being given this example by the church of having a great level of honor and falling under the mission of the husband. That doesn't mean that we're pounding the mission into the husband of all the day-to-day tasks, but that we're in cooperation with what our God-given mission is and how all those little day-to-day things fall under that mission together. And I think that's a very significant to help us understand respect, honor, love, and compassion for our husbands. Yes, I think that is very well said. I'm so happy you're you're linking everything back to scripture because it is, it's in our hearts. These things are in our hearts, but it's so easy to let the, let the laundry and the cooking and all of those things that you want to nag him about take over because it's overwhelming sometimes. And also to want to control things and to want him to be healthy. Something I was thinking about with this whole mommying situation is we also need to respect what he chooses to eat, even if he knows what we would prefer to eat or what we would want him to, but you can't control that fully, even though we know it's unhealthy or we know it might (laughs) help cause an issue for him. If you say it once, that's it. You just have to let him, you can invite, but you have to just let him do, it's his body. It's true. And I think it it may seem like a silly thing. I know you're laughing, but like that experience is real, you know, whether it's weight or health or whatever it might be, honoring the choices, not indulging the choices, but respecting you have free will. So do I. God created us this way. We can encourage, we can invite, but we can't pester. And that can be so challenging, I think, in finding that balance within love of not controlling 
but still respecting another person's freedom. That's a professional matchmaker, Christina Pineda. Christina, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you back. And again, congratulations on your second baby boy. I know you are taking time out today to talk to us in the midst of raising your kids and again, caring for that new baby boy. But she is a professional matchmaker. So if you'd like to learn more about her and her work, you can check out matchmakerchristinaconti.com. That's a matchmaker, Christina with a C, Conti, C-O-N-T-I.com. We'll post a link in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on social media. Just follow me at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we've also tagged her on Instagram as well. You're listening to Trending with Timmerie here on Relevant Radio. I'm going to be back and we're going to talk about the latest headline you may have heard, that there is a claim that there's a first synthetic human embryo created. What does that even mean? Catholic Take coming right up. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Our capabilities within the realm of science and medicine are incredible today. But sometimes we do have to ask the question, just because we can, does that mean we should? And how far we are able to take things in terms of research and development, even though we can produce a great outcome, the means of getting there aren't necessarily right. The means do not justify the end. And I think that's what this entire conversation really is about. You may have heard the news. Headlines are reporting the first synthetic human embryo was created. What does this mean? Well, I want to be really clear to roll back what's being said as there's a lot to be said still. So what happened last week was a Cambridge University researcher claimed she developed the world's first synthetic human embryo model using stem cells, embryonic stem cells, to be clear, which is wrong in and of itself. We'll touch on that in a moment. But here's where it happened. There's an International Society for Stem Cell Research that has an annual meeting, and this year's meeting was in Boston. And there at the meeting, that is where this Cambridge researcher made the claim that she developed the world's first synthetic human embryo. So what we're seeing in news reports now is that we can create human embryos without sperm and egg. Let's pause for a moment and let me be really clear about one thing. It's likely that this has happened, and I'll explain what this means. However, there's no published academic research. This was a claim made at the International Society for Stem Cell Research, the annual meeting in Boston. So the news headlines are running wild with this. Again, there's a lot to be said, but here's what we do know. From what this Cambridge University researcher is claiming, this human embryo, which she's referring to it as, seems to have an early structure of a human embryo. We're not, essentially what it would be is that it's a synthetic looking embryo and we don't know if it will develop as a human embryo does develop. There's no heart, there's no brain, there's much to learn still. But what's happening is in the development, in the research uh, of the scientists, she's finding that this looks and is functioning and is presenting just like a human embryo. This would be the first embryo that's created 
let's be clear, without sperm and egg. Uh, and this is essentially what human cloning is too. And so there's a lot of concern regarding human cloning, which by the way, embryonic stem cell research is completely, completely rejected and intrinsically wrong uh, in the eyes of the Catholic Church along with human cloning. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Yes, research to gather information can be out there, but still to date, there is a tremendous amount of research available to us with adult stem cells, but embryonic stem cells are not giving us these life-saving cures that people claim that they should or would or could. Adult stem cells can. For example, even what's considered an adult stem cell are the incredible stem cells that come from the umbilical cord of a baby, not from the baby itself and killing the baby in the process. Adult stem cells can be taken from many and various parts of the human body, but not in an attempt to actually kill a human person, specifically children. So embryonic stem cell research is always considered wrong because it kills a baby or uses a dead baby that has been aborted to do so. And I don't think we should have to spell out what's wrong with that. Even if we say, oh, we could create a cure for cancer. We could create a cure for Alzheimer's. We could create a cure for all of these different things. I have family and friends who have these awful life-threatening and life-ending diseases, but that doesn't mean that I should say that's okay to experiment on and destroy human life. It, period. I think that's what's really important. We do, a human person is not a science experiment. We should not experiment on human life, period. That's the bottom line. And there are a lot of people who are out there saying, hey, I love buying products that don't uh, get tested on dogs, animals, and other types of things. Well, why would we be okay with that for humans, especially babies? So this news report, again, has no academic research published. It's simply a claim. However, it is likely that they have created a, again, synthetic, looking human embryo that's functioning and looking and starting to develop as a human embryo does, but without sperm and egg. There's no heart, there's no brain. Here's what's interesting as we kind of walk through what's happening ahead of us. Currently, the law in the United States permits experimentation on human life up to 14 days post-fertilization. We're in uncharted territories, however, because if this is a synthetic, as she's saying, human embryo, that would mean that sperm and egg were not a part of the creation of this embryo. And so the synthetic embryo would not be subject to this 14-day rule that law, the law currently has on embryonic researchers. There are concerns, though, because where is the line between a synthetic embryo and a human life? When does God infuse a soul into that life, if it can indeed continue to develop as a human person past even those initial days and past those 14 days. We don't know yet. But again, where's the line drawn? I think this is a risk not worth taking. It's wrong from the beginning to experiment on human life. And I also think it's really important that we acknowledge one thing that I'm hearing no one talk about. So a synthetic human embryo was created, but do you know how they created the synthetic human embryo? They actually used a single embryonic stem cell and used it to develop it into an embryo-like structure that resembled an embryo in the gastrulation stage. So what does that mean? They were using already embryonic stem cells. So what does that mean? They were using babies in the earliest stages of development to 
pull out these stem cells in order to create new life. So no matter which way you slice it, you are experimenting from the beginning of this entire scientific experiment, even if it's in the name of finding some sort of cure, data, or information, you're experimenting on human embryos. You're extracting things from human babies in the early stages of development so that you can try and create human babies without sperm and egg. This is not okay. It's actually devastating. And some may say, well, oh, it's the earliest stages. It's for research. No, no. If we are saying that, if you are someone who's saying that, I really challenge you. Ask me your questions. I would love to hear from you. You can write me an email, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or on social media. Because if you think researching on human embryos is okay, that's a real concern. Embryo, fetus, those are just words for a human person in the early stages of life. My child is only six months old. Does that mean that we should be able to experiment on her because she's more fragile and less seen by other human beings? No. But that's essentially what we're allowing to be done with human embryos, with human fetuses and others, because it's an earlier stage of development. Fewer people see and fewer people know that individual. And there's a lesser degree of development and a greater degree of dependency. So all of those things we use as a justification based on environment, degree of dependency, level of development, and also the level of personal connection between the embryo, the baby in the early stages of development, and those who are allowing this to be done. We are not okay with babies at one month, six months, two years old being killed, but we're okay with babies in even more fragile states being killed. That's frightening. Even though the baby might not have all of those things that we tend to think of as key for making a human person, the baby's heart isn't beating yet, the baby's spine hasn't developed, the baby can't dream, all those things we could discuss doesn't make it right. Just because we can does not mean we should. The, the end never, ever justifies bad means to getting there. So just to summarize, because I think it's important that we look at this with a very clear perspective. Where is the line between a synthetic embryo and a human life? That's to be discussed as the research will be presented, I'm sure, in the near future. It's not been published currently. It's just a claim made at a major research conference. But it's not a risk worth taking. This type of research needs to end and needs to end now. Embryonic stem cell research is wrong. Adult stem cell research is excellent. We've actually found cures for things and we didn't have to destroy human life in order to get there. And so adult stem cells are extremely effective. And again, we don't have to kill people. We don't have to kill little babies in order to get that type of research. And we've already found a tremendous amount of healing opportunities through adult stem cell research. Let's also just make this very clear. This is human experimentation at the end of the day. Humans are not science experiments, and we need to remember that. Uh, this is murder in the name of research, science, and cures, and that's not okay. We don't experiment on human life, period, and that's the conversation we need to be having. You don't have to be a person of faith to say that, but thank God for our Catholic faith who does say and set parameters saying we don't experiment on human life, we don't experiment and kill human life in the name of research, cures, science, and data. 
And I think that that's the final perspective we need to have as news buzzes about the so-called first synthetic human embryo created. So that's what that means. I think that's the conversation to be had as more conversation is to come, I'm sure, in the months as the research and data is actually published on this. And it's not just a claim made at a high-level conference for researchers. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Really briefly, I know that we're in the midst of a lot of challenging experiences this month on the front of the LGBTQ. Here are a couple interesting headlines I just want to present to you really quick and then give you some information if you want to dive deeper on this topic. So I'll discuss this more next week, but even President Biden's administration this last week admitted that the LGBTQ lifestyle is producing worse mental health outcomes. They're not telling the full story, but here's the deal. The mental health outcomes comes for people who are struggling with same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, swinging both ways, you name it, they're struggling. I shared, have shared with you the stories of many of them, Chloe Cole being one, uh, Albert Garcia, another, a number of people who have transitioned, who have experienced the pull of the LGBTQ agenda. I'm going to post a link, kind of a crash course of information data, if you want a little bit more about this experience in the voices of those people who have been there and done that. So check out the episode notes for today's show, relevantradio.com forward slash trending, because you need to hear that data. It's very important. And so as the Biden administration is actually admitting just a little bit, while not drawing the conclusions of why, but they're admitting LGBTQ lifestyles are producing worse mental health outcomes, we also have to tell the truth of why, what's wrong with transitioning, and why the God-given view for the human person is the greatest place to find human happiness, human health, and wholeness. And that's the bottom line. Some of the uh, headlines over the last week have been interesting. Don't give in to bullying. Don't fall for it. I recently saw 15 Democrat state attorneys are pressuring Target CEO Brian Cornell to double down on their LGBTQ-themed merchandise and satanic merchandise in the name of inclusivity. And they're trying to bully and scare Target, making it sound like they could be in violation of anti-discrimination laws. That's just not the case. So it's atrocious that we're even hearing this. Don't give in to bullies because that's what's happening. We're seeing a lot of legal battles stemming right now that are making it clear, as we saw even this week with the lawsuit against Kaiser Permanente for literally mutilating another 12-year-old's body in the name of gender transition, this isn't going to work out well for the people who are trying to destroy human bodies and scandalize kids. It's not. And we need to not be afraid to tell the truth on that. A couple other headlines I just want to touch on, and this is why we need to educate ourselves on the LGBTQ topics, hearing the real stories of people who have transitioned and the damage that was done to their bodies. Again, I'm posting the links in today's episode notes for, I would say, some of my best episodes that I really want you to hear on the topic of gender, same-sex attraction, a school has been accused, actually a couple schools over the last year, of covering up uh, rape scenarios of little girls. The latest one is a 12-year-old girl in New Mexico who, because they said that little boys could use the bathroom, the locker rooms, toilets, everything in her area, uh, she's been raped, is the alleged claim. And this is because we're saying it's okay for boys to be in a girl's private areas and then to have no accountability. There's also an overnight, there are overnight camps all over the country popping up from New Hampshire to California where there's a theme where kids are being indoctrinated to transition. 
This is out of this world. I'm telling you this because we need to be prepared to push back against it. Jesus Christ is the light, the hope, and the darkness of some of the things we are experiencing in the culture. And we can tell the truth because people are coming out of this after years of living adverse lifestyles, of transitioning their bodies and saying, I wish someone helped me. I wish more people helped me when I was younger or in the midst of it to know and love my body. It's a modern day crisis such as many people have experienced with eating disorders and other disorders of struggling with self-acceptance. We actually talked about that this week as well. So be sure to not be afraid to talk about this. And briefly today, I do want to talk about some things to avoid burnout because I am hearing from so many people who are saying, I'm in it, I'm fighting, I'm pushing back, or maybe I'm just starting to be awakened to what's happening in the culture and I'm tired. I get it. Whether you're just living your day-to-day life, family, work, whatever it might be, we need to make sure we're avoiding burnout to truly bring about the kingdom of God here on earth through the grace of Jesus Christ. So here are my five things I want to encourage you to do to start doing today. Sit down. This is your homework to avoid burnout. I'm going to list them and then I'll walk through them slowly. Number one, have robust prayer life morning and evening You need to be offering your day and ending your day both in gratitude and also in contrition, making that examination of conscience. So prayer, number two, you need to have a sleep schedule, making sure you're getting at least eight hours of sleep. Number three, you need to have a workout schedule, a plan to actually make it happen in your calendar. Number four, make sure you're getting enough protein in. And if you have to, this is what I do. I sometimes just have to drink some protein shakes here and there to get the extra protein in to help energize me for the day. And number five, and by the way, we, I'll, I'll talk about it a little more in a moment. Uh, number five is make sure you set aside 30 minutes a day to be outside. I don't care if you're walking and doing a meeting, whether you're stretching, you're working out outside, whether whatever it might be. I take my computer outside and work outside all the time. Do what you have to do to get that walk in, but spend at least 30 minutes outside a day. We need the vitamin D. We need that joy of just delighting in nature all around us and the fresh air. So let's walk through them really quick. Number one, I already said prayer. These are five ways to avoid burnout. Morning and night prayer. You really need to spend at least 30 minutes of prayer a day. Split it up if you have to, but offering your day recognizing what challenging experiences you may have, adoring, praising God, and thanking him and making a petition and intercession for those things you need. Study came out, I talked about it yesterday here on Trending, a couple years ago saying that people who pray have a greater uh, sense of life happiness, are resilient to anxiety, depression, and any number of other medical issues. So make sure you're praying. Number two, my five ways to avoid burnout keep to having a good sleep schedule. Do what you have to do to fight for your sleep. Literally, sleep, a lack of sleep leads to chronic pain, hallucination. You actually are worse at driving with chronic sleeplessness than you are if you are under the influence uh, with a 0.08 influence of alcohol. Did you know that? People should not be behind the wheel when they're not sleeping enough. I know I shouldn't be. Uh, Number three, have it in your calendar to work out. It doesn't have to be an hour. It could be 20, 15 minutes a day, whatever it is, just get that consistent movement in. Number four, I mentioned make sure that you know how much protein you need and actually get it in. Even if that means I'm not one for enjoying or ever calculating things out, but sometimes there are seasons where I'm not nourishing enough and I need to make sure I'm, for example, getting enough protein in for the day. And so actually knowing what those numbers are and then knowing what actually meets that requirement for the day, if you have to, 
take find a protein shake you like. There are not a lot out there that I do like, but find some you like. Put in four ounces of water and down the protein to help you supplement so that you're fooling, fueling yourself to avoid that burnout. And number five, 30 minutes outside a day. We all need it. Whether you're walking, talking, working, stretching, working out, whatever it is, get outside and enjoy the fresh air. We all need that fresh air. And it's so important that we're engaging in these things of healthy, healthy practices for our body and our soul. The two go hand in hand, delighting in nature, eating the right food, cultivating our senses, getting the proper amount of rest and praying and turning to our Lord Jesus Christ in awe and joy so that we can be united to him in the kingdom to come and endure those things that we are called to battle in the current culture we are living in. God chose us to live now and we need to cultivate what we need to in our lives and that is God and healthy living so that we can bring about his kingdom now through the grace of Jesus Christ.